I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. CMOs tend to have a mantra when they take over a new job, reorg, rebrand, and restructure. But while the mantra is simple, the process is not. Anytime things change, feathers get ruffled, even for the most well-intentioned CMOs. Being performance-driven, it's not always the most popular thing to do when you come into a new company. I pulled back spend in Q2 quite significantly from where we were spending because I didn't feel it was working. And there was a lot of conversations with my peers as well as with our CEO and even the board on some of the risks of doing that. But I really believe that by pulling back a little bit and slowing down in order to get those insights and those key learnings in place, we'll be able to speed up in the future and kind of double down on what's working. That's Dana Paris, who is the first CMO of Canada Pet Food. And she is quick to note that the changes and hard conversations are not done in a vacuum. They are calculated risks designed to drive the overall health of the organization. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Dana dives into how having those tough conversations with your C-level peers can set the foundation for a successful partnership. Plus, she also touches on why alignment across all of your touch points online and in person is imperative when you're building brand awareness. Enjoy this episode. Your content is at the heart of what you do. It connects your company to others teaches them, guides them, and inspires them. But creating, managing, and editing content at scale is often very chaotic and difficult. Empower your content teams with Brightspot Content Management System, made specifically for marketers and corporate communications leaders. No more waiting for a developer to have to piece things together. Put the power to create and deliver powerful yet complex digital experiences into the hands of your marketers with a comprehensive suite of ready-to-use tools and functionality. Bring a bright spot to your tech stack, your customers, your team, with the Brightspot content management system. Visit brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to learn more. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends, and today we are joined by a special guest. Dana, how are you? I'm great. Thanks, Ian, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, excited to have you on the show. Uh, excited to chat about pets, about marketing, and everything in between. Uh, but first, how did you get started in marketing? So non-traditional, of course. Um, I was studying anthropology and psychology in undergrad. And one of my friends tapped me on the shoulder and said, I really think you should interview for a brand marketing internship at Hallmark Cards. And I said, I don't even know what brand marketing is, but I love Hallmark cards. Sounds interesting. And so I went on the interview and um, the person that was interviewing me just happened to hire a cultural anthropologist to help them with the card aisle. We had a a very long discussion around my capstone project, my senior project uh, going into my senior year. And they they hired me on the spot for the internship. And then after my internship with Hallmark, they hired me on full time after I graduated. And ever since then, I've been in brand marketing. I love it. It's been, um, you know, kind of my passion area. And I truly have wanted no other job. 
I fell into it by accident, but I count myself very lucky that I fell in very early age and early in my career to something that I love. And so flash forward to today, tell us a little bit about your role as CMO of Candidate. Yeah. So uh, my role is, you know, just as you would expect, is kind of the head of marketing of a consumer packaged goods or pet food brand. We look at brand marketing, uh, creative performance marketing. And so all of those teams report into me. I view my role as helping to guide and shape our strategy, you know, continue to bring forward performance marketing and return on our investment to get the biggest bang for our buck, but also have the biggest impact with our consumers um, and sharing kind of our brand and story with them. And so what's kind of like the size and scope of, of Candidate uh, right now? Yeah. So while I can't share our numbers, we're a privately held company. Um, we're owned um, solely by El Catterton, which has is an ownership of many brands and companies. What I can say is that over the last two years, we've doubled, doubled our size in sales. Um, we are definitely a, a smaller brand in the pet food space, but I wouldn't say we're we're very small. We're more mid-size and um, we're a fast growth brand. So we're definitely a challenger brand in the in the natural pet food space. What does the pet food space look like and what does the, the natural pet food space look like? Yeah. So how I look at the pet food category, there's what I consider more traditional brands um, that are rooted more in kind of complete meals that are based on um, science, for instance, like Hills or Royal Canaan uh, that might be vet, you know, backed by veterinarians. Or you have Purina, which is a very kind of traditional pet food brand that's very large. And then there's what I would call the more natural pet foods that are really focused on, you know, very clear ingredient lists that are recognizable ingredients like chicken, rice, beef, et cetera, carrots, those types of things. We play in that space. And uh, that category has lots of brands and we are focused solely on the pet specialty channel. So we're focused on not food drug mass. So Petco, PetSmart, independent pet specialty stores, regional pet specialty stores, as well as Amazon and Chewy. And so how do you think about marketing uh, at Canada? You know, I, I know you're, you're a deep performance marketer, so we're, we're going to get into that for sure. Um, but what's kind of like your, your strategy or your, your overarching uh, thoughts? I came on to Canada at a really cool time. We were right in the middle of a lot of uh, segmentation work that had been done that helped to inform our new rebranding. So we're re in the middle of relaunching our branding and brand positioning. The company has always been known for very high quality, premium dog food from, you know, great quality source of proteins and vegetables and ingredients. We have been using regeneratively farmed ingredients for quite some time, but we weren't really sharing any of that with our consumers. They knew us as a high quality pet food brand, but didn't know us much beyond that. So we're reshaping our branding to really bring forth that positioning that we've always believed in, which is a much more sustainable positioning of how we source our foods to the types of foods we put into our products, as well as our packaging. We've moved to more sustainable sources of packaging and operational procedures. So for instance, we um, invested in transportation that is more sustainable than trucks. We use more rail than trucks. And so there are those types of things that we're bringing forward. 
and bringing forward to the consumer. So our mission statement for our brand, which we're just launching now, is to create a more sustainable world of goodness for pets, people, and the planet. And we think that this is a really differentiated and unique space in kind of the natural pet food space. Not a lot of these brands are speaking about sustainability and how they're bringing that kind of eco-friendly thinking into how they're producing pet food. Yeah. And I mean, what what a more important place to do that, right? Than, uh, than in pet food where, you know, I mean, there's obviously like a massive uh, appetite, uh, so to speak, for for having healthy pet food. But it's not just about having healthy pet food. It's about, you know, all of that sustainability piece. And, and it, it is a huge differentiator. Yeah. And we really believe that, you know, this idea of buying the best ingredients that we can, that we actually have close partnerships with our farmers to ensure that we're getting really nutrient dense foods. And so we've invested in um, regeneratively farmed products for that reason. We have this belief that the better your soil is, the more nutrient dense your food is, and the better that is for our pets, as well as leaving less of an impact on our planet. It all works symbiotically. And we've seen what's really fascinating to me as being somewhat new to the pet industry is you've seen these trends in food and other CPG categories for you know well over a decade. And the fact that it's just now starting to come into pet food, we believe it's it's time and we hope that we're one of many brands that goes into this space because it's better for all of us. Yeah, indeed. That's really that's really cool to hear. Do you feel like this is something where you know, the market is, like you said, has already been starting to vote this way with their wallet for <laughs> human food. And then now is is, is just kind of hasn't really known about the options to this point. And so there's kind of a, a huge untapped market there. We really do believe that. And if you think about it, a lot of pet food is in many categories, right? It's dominated by very large players that have been doing things and sourcing um, ingredients and processing food in a certain way for many, many, many years. And it's it's hard to move, right? It's hard to make those steps that we're taking. And when you're a small challenger brand, you can do that more agilely. You can do it quicker. You can do it with a more entrepreneurial mindset. Um, and so we really believe that, you know, while we're while we're one of the brands that it's doing it, and one of the first brands that's been making these steps, we've started our sustainability mission back in 2016. So we've been doing it for quite some time. But as we've been making these steps, we believe and we really hope that other brands will follow suit um, and continue to, you know, improve the quality of our pet food, but also, you know, leave less of an impact, which is important for all of us. So I'm curious, you know, you, you started in March um, of this year. What was that first 100 days like? What was kind of your audit process uh, like as, as you came in and, and started looking at where you were spending money and, and, and your go-to-market? Yeah. So there were a lot of things that I dug into right away. We uh, were spending a lot on paid media. In, in all transparency, I didn't think it was working hard enough for us and thought we had a lot of areas for opportunity. Um, during this first kind of 100 days, we put out two RFPs to new agencies that are more like-minded with where we're headed. So we've changed over um, two of our agencies. One, our Amazon media buying agency, we just brought on Beekeeper, which is very much um, a performance-driven uh, agency that can help us manage our Amazon business more effectively and efficiently. 
And then second, uh, we brought on January Digital, um, which is heavily focused on performance-based media buying tactics and, and strategies. And they started with us back in June. So we've made big shifts very quickly in what we've seen, which is really exciting. So January Digital, from the second they started, we saw big impacts, but I'm happy to report um, six weeks in, we've seen about four to five times better performance. So four to 400 to 500 times improvement on our engagement rates, on our click-through, on some other metrics like um, our cost per click. So really great, great step changes that we've made um, in a very short period of time. And we expect as we're able to continually build out uh, richer, more kind of strategic plans together that this will just continue our path of improvement. So that was on one of the key things that we did right away. The other thing that I did is I reorganized our marketing team. I have, I'm very lucky. I inherited a a very strong, very capable, very smart uh, marketing team that has great experience, but they maybe weren't organized in the best fashion. So we've created um, a new structure where we have three centers of excellence, one around brand marketing, one around creative, which will help us to optimize on the fly based on all of our learnings with what's performing well. And then the last area of our center of excellence is around a performance mindset or performance marketing that manages our data, manages our media buying um, analytics, as well as our uh, .com and e-commerce businesses. That's incredible results. That's that's pretty rad. Uh, any, any insights from... Uh... You know, jumping four to five hundred percent is is pretty amazing stuff. Yeah, it's awesome. I knew that we had an, a huge opportunity when I looked at the performance. That perhaps we were focused too much on building brand awareness, but without the right tactics and creative. And so we moved a little bit further down in that kind of consideration funnel and focused more around conversion tactics and consideration tactics. So we wanted to make sure that we aligned our creative messaging along with the right kinds of ways to attract consumers in their all different touch points of their um, consideration set. The other thing that we looked at was really our audiences. We had some great learnings that we just weren't enacting quickly enough. So we optimized all our audience groups to really find consumers that were most aligned with our brand. Um, and our consumer insights that we already knew about our brand. So all of those changes uh, allowed us to have very quick um, step change in terms of performance. And, you know, you mentioned you can get um, all the different types of uh, products that you have on a variety of different places. Where were you focusing um, on, on sending people? So we really believe in the pet specialty channel and are heavily invested there. We know mm-hmm. that you know, the consumers don't just think, oh, I'm going to go get in my car and um, purchase, you know, dog food or cat food or whatever it is. So we have to be everywhere that the consumer, you know, wants to find our food, um, which is why we really take an omni-channel approach. But we believe heavily in investing in the pet specialty channel. We believe that most new pet parents go to their local pet store looking for advice Um, looking for um, understanding and education. And so we have a plan to heavily invest in that education and advocacy at a store level, while also supporting the fact that consumers want convenience. Um, And so bringing forward to them different ways to repurchase 
and fulfill their monthly needs of pet food, you know, we utilize dot coms to help us do that or click and pick up at the curb, those types of conveniences. Yeah, it seems like there are so many different, you know, ways that that people could could find the type of pet food that they want, or maybe they're maybe thinking about switching. But it seems to me like once you get stuck on one, I know for for uh for our dog, it was like once we found the one that that she liked that didn't hurt her belly, we were gonna stick with that <laughs> for yeah. as long as possible. So yeah, curious how that how that customer life cycle looks. Yeah, I mean it's it to your point, it's a very sticky brand category, right? In general, there aren't a lot of people that are switching just to switch because there's new innovation or because they saw a commercial or because they ran across a promotion, right? They're they're very careful, which makes sense, right? Pets can't tell us what they like and don't like. They can't tell us what feels good and doesn't feel good. And so as pet parents, we tend to be very cautious and careful with those decisions. So we are really focused on intercepting consumers at that moment of consideration of switching brands or investigating for something new. We look at several different kind of key moments. So one of the key moments is when they become a new pet parent. A lot of that is informed by research online, by, you know, going into your pet specialty and getting advice from, you know, the experts. It's also from whoever you got your pet from. So if you adopted from the rescue group, the foster parent, or the shelter, or if you used a breeder through the breeder, as well as your veterinarian. So all of these different, what I'll call um, kind of advocates, right, um, are really helping to inform new pet parents where they should, you know, what, what type of food they should consider. And then the other part, which you talked about, was when a pet isn't feeling well, if they have allergies, if they all of a sudden have an aversion to their food. Um, if their diet changes for some sort of reason or needs to change because of a medicine, illness, et cetera, or if they're become growing up from puppy to adult. So we really view that we have very specific moments in time to capture new pet parents or to capture pet parents that already have pets. So we really look at targeting those areas to create opportunities to invite them to learn more about our brand. And you mentioned omni-channel. So I, I'd imagine that most people are going to buy their pet food the same way that they buy other stuff in their life. Like, you know, however it is that they're buying that stuff, that's how they would potentially get it. Or, or are they going like directly to, you know, certain things and then, you know, just turn it on and set it and forget it sort of a thing? Um, we see both behaviors. Uh, there's a certain percent that come into, let's say, e-commerce and know exactly what pet food they want to buy. They're not open to new brands. They want to set it and forget it, subscribe and save X percent, get free shipping and have that convenience at home. Then we have other consumers that we have found that are really interested in learning about new brands that search different ingredients, that search different types of food quality. And so we have an opportunity to intercept them at that moment as well. And we do believe that this idea of because pet food is sticky, there is a much higher likelihood that they would get into a mode once they find a pet food that they like to set it and forget it. So we want to encourage them to do that. You know, I know performance is, is your jam. So I, I'm curious, uh, once you kind of got that initial phase set up, what's next? Um, what's next for, for, for you and the team to, to think about that performance marketing and, and leverage some of the things that you've done previously in your career? So for us, we're just in the very infant stages of 
where I think we can go. I think we have a lot of room for runway, an enormous room for runway in our in our media efforts and getting our cost per acquisition down, getting our return on on ad spend. So there's there's lots of exciting efforts in front of us to kind of crack those codes. We have put together an initial learning agenda with our agency partners and we'll continue to refine that and that's what I really believe in is aligning with our agencies bringing them in as part of a team, our team, they have access to all of the same data that we have access to. And we, you know, grade ourselves or um, look at the same data and performance that is important to our PNL because it's important to their PNL. And so we're, we're all on the same mindset. So with this kind of learning agenda approach, we always have certain things that we want to test out. And then we put plans in order to figure out our hypothesis and then we prove it out either which way it turns, and then we have stronger data and move that into our next set of learning agenda. So that's really how we're focused as a marketing team. It's worked well for me in the past. Um, and I'm a big believer if something works well in the past, let's you know steal that, use it again, make it a little bit better. And so I've, I've used that in, in many of my past roles and it's, it tends to work very well. What about um, outside of that, performance piece? How are you thinking about content? How are you thinking about partnerships or, or influencers or things like that? Obviously, a lot of pet content out there on the internet. Yeah, there is. That's a huge part of our strategy as well. So the performance media is one aspect. We also have the same lens for what I'll call our advocate or our alliances. And so we really believe as a challenger brand, it's important to have credibility through the partners that we align ourselves with. So we're building that out right now for 2022. We have already started with some very important partnerships. Um, one is with Clint Brower. He is um, one of our key farmers um, in the regeneratively farm space. So he um, will be doing content for us as well as PR and social media. He has um, a very interesting company called Green Robotics, where he uses robotics to help him with his farming tactics. So he is officially one of our key partners that we work with. And then we have several other influencers that have been long-term partners, and we'll continue to partner with them in the future. And then we're just now building out what is our sponsorship and other partnerships, perhaps in the vet space or with other like-minded influencers in the pet space or in other spaces that could be great for helping us create really rich uh, content. Yeah. It seems like there are so many options and so many fun things that you could do that I'm sure it feels like the opportunities are endless. Yeah, they really are. For us, we're, we're hyper-focused on a certain consumer segment. So that does help narrow it down uh, to find you know certain, uh, uh, certain types of influencers that appeal to the audience that we're going after. But it is endless. And what I love about pet food, prior to pet food, I had been in beauty for a very long time. And the majority of consumers were women in a certain age range with a certain kind of mindset. And so what I love about pet food is it's everybody, right? There's a huge percent of the population that owns pets. And so you have this real ability to um, flex different kind of programs and collaborations and partnerships, which is really fun. You mentioned... um that you're not just focused on, you know, kind of the end buyer that you have these really important kind of stakeholders, whether that's, you know, breeders or whether that's 
shelters or, or different things like that, those folks that are providing information. Can you talk about kind of like your strategy for that and then also talk about um, Club Canada, which I think is, is, is a part of that as well? So great. Yeah. So we really do believe that advocacy and education for consumers comes through pet specialty, so store associates, veterinarians, as well as wherever you purchase or um, adopt your pet from. And so for us, we've worked with different groups in the past to help inform them and educate them on our brand and our product and the, you know, the high nutritional density um, that we have in our formulas. We have focused in specifically on breeders in the past, which is Club Canada. It's an exclusive kind of breeder program. We are launching right now a rescue group and foster feed program. Um, So that is launching in the next couple of weeks. And we've got a couple of really exciting partnerships with rescue groups. Rescue groups are are a great focus for us in terms of creating advocacy. And we have donated hundreds of thousands of pounds of food to different food banks um, and rescue groups and as well as shelters. And so we'll continue to do that as a part of, you know, our brand mission. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, it, and it's 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 rad to see that you're so, you know, ingrained in their success and those outcomes and things like that. That's cool to see. Yeah, and they've been terrific partners for us as well. Um, so anything we can do to support them and their mission also helps us support our mission and our brand. So it's it's, you know, it's very symbiotic and We've been very fortunate to work with really, really great, um, high quality uh, groups in the past. So, is targeting those folks difficult? I mean, is it? Is I mean, uh, maybe it's like you can just pull a list of all the shelters in America pretty easily, and I don't know. But I'm just curious. Like, is getting in front of that community tough? It's extremely tough. I would not say it's an easy path forward. It's really been dominated by Purina. Purina has very strict contracts with many breeders as well as shelters. So we are actually going in a totally different route where we're not having contracts in terms of exclusivity. We don't believe in that for our brand. And we believe that, you know, by providing the type of food that we do, that we're very um, confident they'll be recommending our food. But yes, it's extremely difficult because it's been locked up by another brand for quite some time. And so again, we're trying to break through in a highly developed category with big, big brands that have been doing this for a very long time that have already been um, heavily invested in these types of tactics for a long time. But we believe what we offer something completely different and something that's very beneficial that provides a different option. Is there a piece of that where you kind of feel like your team has to be a little bit more nimble and creative to figure that stuff out? Yeah, we definitely do. And this is where being very clear on who our target consumer is helps. There's thousands of rescue groups. There's many thousands of breeders. There's thousands of shelters. And we we clearly can't go after all of them. We're a very small team and it's all one-on-one relationship building. Um, and it takes a long time to develop those relationships. So we're we're very focused on working with different groups that align with our values as a a brand and as a company. And by looking at, you know, clear alignment of what their goals and mission is along with ours, it helps define those more symbiotic relationships a little bit easier, but it is not an easy path forward, which is why many brands haven't done it. 
the hard stuff is where you make the most magic. So do you have any favorite campaigns that you've run over the past couple months or, or maybe uh, certain channels or, or things like that? Yeah. So all of our campaign work is just getting into action right now. So we're launching a new campaign called The World of Goodness, and it will start to bring forward this message of what's good for pets is good for people, which is good for a planet. And so we'll be bringing kind of that cycle of goodness forward with a big emphasis on our regenerative farmed ingredients, as well as our sustainably sourced proteins. So that is very exciting. And that will be launching in the next couple of weeks. And then some of the other past campaigns that uh, the team has done prior to me getting here that I I truly love is we have some really great, uh, what I'll call kind of conversion ads that are really focused on the quality of our food, the quality of our ingredients, as well as the nutritional density. And they're what I would call kind of comparison ads to other brands without mentioning the other brand, but really beautiful assets that are very arresting that have worked very well for us in social. I'm curious, you know, you seem like a very data-driven marketer. Uh, How do you feel like coming into the role, you know, you were going to be able to leverage data? You know, obviously you're not a D2C brand. Uh, You you know, you have uh, lots of information that that you're getting from your many, many uh, places where people can find candidates. So how do you think about data? Yeah, data is critical, especially as we move into more of a cookie-less world. So right now, we don't own a lot of our data, and we're reliant on third-party data, you know, partnerships with different media buying groups, as well as our retail partners. We are building out a strategy to capture our own data going forward. So we will be launching something around that in Q4. And that will be critical to our path forward in just having a better handle on who our consumer is and really owning and uh, being able to reach our consumers at different points throughout their, their decision journey, as well as be able to reach back to them with the most relevant content. So right now we have a few limitations in being able to do that, but we have a plan going forward to you know really own our own first party data, which I think will help put us on that kind of trajectory. The other thing I'll say is about being performance driven, right? It's not always the most popular thing to do when you come into a new company. I pulled back spend in Q2 quite significantly from where we were spending because I didn't feel it was working. And, you know, there was a lot of conversations with my peers as well as with our CEO and even the board on some of the risks of doing that. But I really believe that by pulling back a little bit, and slowing down in order to get those insights and those key learnings in place, we'll be able to speed up in the future and kind of double down on what's working. And the proof is in the uh, in the pudding, as they say. Well, you know how everybody always says, you know, it's like we're, you know, you're drinking your own champagne. You guys really are eating your own dog food in a way. I mean, you're <laughs> feeding, <laughs> feeding it feeding it to your dogs at a, at a minimum. Yeah, no, we are. And my dogs have all switched on to Canada um, and love it. And I've encourage many of my friends who have also made the switch and have had great, great results with their dogs and cats. So it's been a lot of fun. Um, Yeah, the product's amazing. And um, the quality of our manufacturing facility, we own our own manufacturing facility down in Brownwood, Texas. The manufacturing facility is top notch and really just super impressive. And with all of that, it gave me very good confidence to make a quick switch with my pups. Seriously. Back to the data piece, uh, that is 
it is really tough when you don't own first party data like that. You know, we've talked to a bunch of folks recently on the show sharing kind of a similar thing. What would be your advice to to someone in the same seat as you where you're coming to a role where you don't have a lot of first party data uh, and you need to figure out how to do it, especially when you don't have like a D to C motion? It is critical to own your own data. And so I would say put together a plan and there are many ways to do it. We're moving down a path that will allow for a D2C model that's never going to be our priority, but it will allow us to start collecting data um, as well as other venues to do that. So we are building out a model right now. And I would encourage any CMO out there, if you don't have plans or a strategy in place to really understand your consumer consumers at a granular level and be able to target them with CRM, you're missing out. All of the power can't be with our retailers, right? Um, so it needs to be a balance. And the better informed we are about our brand, the better we can help our retailers enact the best uh, go-to-market strategies for them. Yeah. I mean, isn't isn't that the thing, right? It's like even just having that little bit of D2C component allows you to figure out you know, who the heck these people are and get a little bit more information about them. It, it's funny. I mean, you know, although I, aren't you just really flying blind at that point if you don't have any of that, right? Yeah, you really are. We're very lucky. We've, the company before I got there did really rich segmentation study. That is probably the best segmentation, segmentation study I've ever seen in my career. So we have very rich data on who our consumer is today what opportunities we have, what the white space is, and what are the consumer groups that we want to target. So I would say that we have pretty rich kind of insights of where we're headed, but we need to back that up with, okay, who's actually buying our product and responding to offers and responding to different creative? That is critical. So we have some really great directional information on that, but we need to move into actual data. Well, I think, you know, as as you create more content and you create other things or you create referrals and all that stuff, it's like, you know, having that motion internal is so beneficial. You can just do a lot more stuff. And even if you only have whatever, you know, a small 1% of your buyer's uh, information, you can speak directly to them. Like, that's a a very important beachhead to be able to launch new initiatives, to do all sorts of different stuff, right? It's, a, it's just critical. It's critical. It allows us to test out what messaging resonates the best with our core consumers, which then we can blast out more, more broadly to people that we don't have first-party data to. So I completely agree with you. It allows us to really get much better A-B testing as well as fine-tuned testing to really ensure what what messages resonate the best as well as what products are are the most compelling and those types of those types of initiatives that are going to be critical to building our brand over time. You mentioned uh, spending a ton of time in a different segment altogether, a uh, very different product, very different uh, consumer type. As you mentioned, beauty is 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 much different. What were some of the lessons that you learned there that you kind of brought with you uh, on, a, on a more tactical level? So what's really interesting about the beauty category or really an ECPG category is I think the playbooks can be very similar um, when you mm-hmm. change categories. So some of the things that I've, for the last seven years, I've been very focused on being in working with brands 
and leading brands that are high growth challenger brands. That's the area that I love to be in and the space I love to be in. And I think that that playbook can be very replicatable against different types of categories. So some of the things that I've seen work really well is having very strong alignment between what's happening in the marketing campaigns to what a consumer can find in store on online store. And so having kind of that red thread of the marketing efforts and campaign be uh, not only symbiotic, but help move the consumer down their consideration journey into purchasing your brand or purchasing your products are very similar in different categories, right? So having every single consumer touch point ladder up with messaging that helps bring them to kind of the decision journey works well, regardless of what category you're in. And so we're taking those tactics and applying them to candidate. Um, I call it everyday marketing, but really having, you know, this very connected campaign objectives across every single consumer touch point down to the promotion, down to the display that's in store. And so we have found that to be highly effective when we're focused in those areas and they might not be the most, you know, sexy marketing strategies, but I call it the basic building blocks of marketing and just executing with excellence every single day. And when you do that, you just see results. And I, I saw that when I was the chief marketing officer at a brand called OGX, which was a challenger brand in the hair care space. And we were able to become in a very short period of time number one at Walgreens, number one at CVS, number three at Target, and number three at Walmart. So beating out big, big brands. Um, And we had about one-tenth the marketing budget to go and reach those consumers. Yeah. What, so what was the, what was the, I mean, I know you kind of just walked through that, but any, any final takeaways on how you were able to kind of get those results with less money? I mean, it comes down to really partnering, not just with your marketing and marketing agencies, but also with your sales team. So I was tightly aligned with our head of sales. We worked very collaboratively on making sure that the planograms were right, making sure that our map policies were aligned on, making sure that our e-commerce pricing and promotional strategies were aligned against all different touch points. Those seem like they're not marketing functions, but they're very much so. And they're the base building block to make sure that we have the right product in the right stores for that consumer type. And when we got kind of those basic building blocks in place, then we were able to align our marketing campaigns with our in-store and promotional strategies. And that's where we started to really see some magic happen and continual growth that wasn't just all trade-driven or brand awareness-driven, right? It was really utilizing both of those levers to help pull and push the brand and the brand growth. Some other things that you know I felt were very important as we shifted from kind of functional marketing campaigns uh, around the performance of the product and you know the ingredients that were in the bottle to really more of an em- emotional connection with the consumer and creating more aspiration around the brand. And once we did that, we also saw kind of the flywheel go. What's next for uh, for you? What's next for Canada? Yeah, so at Canada, we're very focused on bringing forward our mission of sustainability, as well as continuing to double down on very high nutritionally dense food. Um, we're very excited. We're relaunching our brand and sharing it with our retail community next week at a conference called Super Zoo. 
where all retailers kind of come together um, in the industry and we get to meet with them. And so we'll be unveiling our new branding, our new campaigns, as well as um, some new innovation for next year. So we have a lot ahead of us. We have a very long road for runway, as I call it. We've got big plans for big growth next year. And so we're just finalizing all of our 2022 strategy and sales and marketing plans. Okay, let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy. Just like marketing with Salesforce, you can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more about marketing on the world's number one CRM, that is Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. We love Salesforce. They've been with us for so long. Hundreds of episodes and a million downloads. Go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. Lightning round questions. Dana, are you ready? I am ready. Number one, what types of dogs do you have? I have Havanese, two Havanese. They're little Names? fluffy things, Ellie and Canella. What do you do for fun? I love to cook and I play a lot of tennis. Do you have a favorite uh, book or podcast or TV show that you're checking out? Um, right now I'm reading a great book, which is called Boys in the Boat. And it's around um, yeah. this. Yeah, it's a great book. I love it. So it's actually given out to every new employee in our company around, you know, this idea of kind of one uh, team, one crew. So we're called the candidate crew, but I, I've totally been engrossed in this book and I love it. Great read. What is your best advice for a first time CMO? Be curious, be humble and partner with your COO, your CFO and any, and your head of sales or your chief commercial officer very closely. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? Yeah, I wish that uh, people would ask more about what are you learning about? Yeah, what are you learning about? <laughs> I'm constantly learning. I'm trying to learn more about how AI can help uh, marketing tactics going forward, which we've been investigating for years, right? But how do you really leverage it without having your own data, you know, and, and really working through that? Yeah, it is It is the name of the game. Well, exciting stuff. Dana, thanks so much for, for joining the show. Uh, for all the pets out there, check out Canada. You'll love it. And uh, any final thoughts? Anything to plug? No, just, you know, go check us out. Look for our new rebranding. It's very exciting what's coming What's coming soon. It's really rad. I love the, uh, I love the branding and everything. So exciting stuff. Thank you. It'll be in retail soon. Awesome. Thank you, Ian. Take care. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, 
The messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.